Thanks for joining us this morning for worship. Whether you're watching out in the tent or online, we just appreciate the, the family gathered together in many, many places this morning. Well, if you've read in advance Numbers 26, you probably saw a giant consensus, or census rather, with lots and lots of numbers, and you thought, how am I going to get anything out of this? And if you haven't, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So let me give a little background before I begin to say that I think a lot of us live in the past. Instead of living in the past, God wants us to forge forward by faith in the future. We live in the past in many ways. For many of us, we're addicted to the good old days. Hey, the good old days. And they weren't really that good anyway. But we, we remember when we used to have a closer relationship with God, when our marriage used to be closer, when the kids used to ask us questions and respect us more. Remember when we used to take big challenges for God, but now we've kind of been coasting for a good month, decade or so. Others of us live in the past because of something someone did to us. I remember what they did, and I remember what they said, and we're, we're anchored to the past through bitterness or through anger or maybe even self-condemnation. I can't remember or I can't ever forgive myself, you might say, because of what I did back then, the promise I broke to them, the way I didn't live up to what I said I would do. We often live in the past. As we're going to see today, this is an opportunity to forge forward by faith in the future because your yesterdays do not determine your tomorrows. And God wants us to be people who, who, who go over that final finish line and we finish well. So wherever you are, whatever path you've been down, whatever temptations you stumbled into, there's still an opportunity to come back to God and finish well with exceptional faith. So let me get to the end of the chapter and tell you where it ends up before we start at the beginning. At the very end of the chapter, it's going to talk about how to finish well with exceptional faith. It's going to mention they're going to take a census and count all 12 tribes again 40 years later. Here's what the numbers were. Here's what the numbers are now. But look what it mentions here at the end of the chapter. So after they numbered, thus the book of Numbers, after they numbered the children in the wilderness of Sinai, not one person was left over the last 40 years except Caleb and Joshua. So 40 years, a whole generation has died and not one man is left except Caleb, except Joshua. And Joshua and Caleb have exceptional faith. When the 12 spies went in, 10 said, no, we can't do it. Our God's too small. Two, Caleb and Joshua, had exceptional faith. They said, guys, let's trust God. And now they've had 40 years of their life wasted. I'd be a little bitter. They are as ready as ever in their 60s and 70s to take on the giants and take on the fortified cities and again to finish well. What does it look like for you and I to finish well for our sake and the sake of future generations? Let me summarize all of chapter 26 with this diagram. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> this is pretty much what happens in the chapter today is they say the first census had this many in each tribe. It's 
So here you have the tribe of Reuben and Simeon all the way down, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And it's going to show us what happened over the last 40 years, which tribe gained people, which tribes lost people. And you look at that and you're like, am I supposed to learn something from that? There's a couple things if we zoom in. There's a couple tribes that have gone up. Many have stayed relatively the same, but one has been devastated. And that is the S, Simeon. In the tens of thousands, they're down almost 40,000 people over the last 40 years. Now, why this is so significant is because Simeon did not finish well, because his descendants don't finish well, all of the future generations are going to get less inheritance because the inheritance on the land is determined by the census. And the census indicates all of the bad habits of the last 40 years. Look how far down Simeon is. The other thing I'd like you to notice is the E and the M. This is Ephraim and Manasseh. These are two of Joseph's sons. They were not part of the 12 tribes. Joseph was, but it was Joseph's sons, Jacob's grandsons, are Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, typically, Reuben, the firstborn, would have a double portion. Because of some rebellion in his life, his ancestors don't get a double portion. But because back in Genesis, Joseph faithfully lived for God when he was in the pit, lived for God when he was in the prison, lived for God when he was falsely accused by Potiphar, lived for God as he ruled next to Pharaoh and saved all of Israel and his family. Because of that, Jacob, seeing how Joseph finished well, adopted his two sons, his grandsons, and now Joseph and his descendants, 500 years later, are getting a double portion of blessing because Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, are going to get double the chunk when they get into the land. So a couple of insights here before we jump in the passage. Jacob is blessing. <laughs> they call it a blessing. It's not much of a blessing. He is prophesying way back 500 years ago some patterns he sees. And he says to Simeon, his son, Simeon, man, I've observed some things in you. And Levi, your brother, who turns out to be the tribe of the priests. You guys are instruments of cruelty. Thanks, Dad. Right? But Dad is noticing there's a rebellious spirit in Simeon that he just keeps modeling for his kids. He's like, you're not finishing well. You're an instrument of cruelty. You need to change some patterns. It's going to affect you and future generations. And here we are 500 years later, and that's exactly what happened. They're down 40,000 people. And primarily for two reasons. Simeon has been leading almost all of the rebellion, his kids and his ancestors, for the last 40 years. If you remember the plague of meat we talked about in Numbers 11, that was mostly Simeon's tribe rebelling against Moses and God. We lost a couple thousand. Last week and the week before, we had the, those sleeping with the, the, the prostitutes from the Moabites, primarily from the tribe of Simeon where 24,000 people are killed in that moment, mostly from this tribe. Because of Simeon 500 years ago, because of his descendants over the last 40 years, that tribe is going to get so much less inheritance because they're facing the consequences of what dad and grandpa and great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa didn't do by not finishing well. So two lessons I think we can learn here before we jump into the census Simeon 
has a history of abysmal faith. And generations are robbed because of his actions and their actions. Joseph, man, because of his incredible faith, Manasseh and Ephraim grow in wealth, grow in opportunity because of the impact of generational faith of their dad, Joseph. So how can we finish well with exceptional faith? Well, exceptional faith has three qualities I think we find here in the passage. The first one is that exceptional faith can recognize a deja vu moment. You ever had a deja vu moment? You find yourself in the exact same circumstance over and over again? And you're like, man, God's got me back in the same place. I wonder if I'm supposed to learn something. I wonder if I'm supposed to behave differently this time. You ever had a fight with your spouse and it's the same argument you've had a hundred times? I mean, Beth and I don't have this, but I'm sure you do, right? <laughs> And this is a chance again to say, am I going to react the same way I used to, the same way I did last time? Are we going to keep the same pattern or am I going to choose to grow and be more patient, be more kind, be more other-centered? Can you recognize deja vu moments and say this moment matters and how I choose by faith not to complain but to be grateful, how to move forward, not to be stuck in the past, this moment matters. And how I respond by faith matters here if I'm going to finish well. So here's what begins in chapter, one, verse, chapter 26, verse 1. So after the plague, we mentioned the plague last week. I looked at lots of commentaries. Seemingly no one addresses what this plague was. Was it medical? Was it flies? Was it leprosy? It was a divine judgment against all those who were basically sleeping around with the Moabite prostitutes in the tabernacle or in the temple. So after this divine plague that killed 24,000 people, God turns to Moses and Eleazar and says, Time to take a census. Ding, 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 deja vu. We did this 40 years ago. For you and I, we did it back in January and we started this book. Oh, yeah, I remember the census. The census was, where are we? Let's get ready to go to war so we can trust God against the giants and fortified cities. And then we went to the fortified cities and we backed up and we didn't trust God. It's a deja vu moment. I want you to count all the congregation from 20 years old and above. It's going to be a little bit like a draft in the sense that who's able to go to war. So it determines who goes to war and who gets inheritance. So Moses and Eleazar get those instructions from God, and they do exactly that. They turn to the people and say, guys, we're going to take a census of the people, 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded. So Moses and the children of Israel came out of Egypt. So in this moment, will you recognize that we've been here before and I want to respond differently this time. And whatever stakes that I didn't realize last time, 40 years of my life wasted, a whole generation gone. I want to recognize this time, in this deja vu moment, I want to know the stakes are higher than I realize, and choosing faith is more important than I realize. I want to finish well. Do we approach each moment knowing how mission critical it is for us now to eternity and for generations? If you've ever seen a map of how they divide up Israel, this is what it looks like. Each one of those colors represents one of the different tribes. And notice how different the sizes are of the chunks of the land they got. There's Zebulun and Naphtali to give one example, but each color represents a different tribe. And the chunk of land they get is determined by the size of the census. And the size of the census was determined a lot by how faithful they've been over the years. And at this moment, they're like, let's take the census and let's be the generation that goes in and finishes well what God has put before us. 
And if you remember when we had the first census, God had all 12 tribes laid out in different ways. Remember? And if you remember, he said, I'm going to put my presence in the center of your life. I want you to count on my presence while you're counting yourselves. He had very specific places to align the people, north, south, east, and west. And 1,500 years before the Romans invented crucifixion, God is marching his people through the wilderness in the sign of a cross. A constant reminder of his forgiveness, a constant reminder that his forgiving place, the tabernacle, is in the center of your life, a constant reminder of his pillar of fire and pillar of cloud going before them. Reminders everywhere. But they didn't seize the moment they had. They didn't realize how important that moment was 40 years ago in stepping into faith. Now, in the New Testament, it talks about what happened last week and this week and tells us we're supposed to learn something. 1 Corinthians 8. Those things back in Numbers, they were to be examples to us to learn so we don't deja vu what they did to the intent that we should not lust after evil things the way they lusted after evil things. What are you lusting after? Comfort, pleasure, power, money, like Balaam. Do not become idolaters, making something an idol in your life, as some of them did. Don't let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 fell. To which this is often where a skeptic will come along and say, this is why you can't trust the Bible. In Corinthians, it says 23,000. Way back in Numbers, it said 24,000. The Bible is inconsistent. But notice Paul adds the phrase, one day. So apparently, back in Numbers, 23,000 people died in one day. And then it took another day or half or whatever, a week, for the other thousand to die. So it's very compatible. The bottom line is 23,000 died in one day, 24,000 died in total because of that plague. And he says, if we understand what happened back then and recognize this deja moment for us, deja vu moment for us, let's not tempt Christ. And now all these things happen to them as an example for us to learn that we would have be admonished or encouraged to live differently. Then he applies this so interesting in Corinthians. He says, therefore, therefore, he who thinks he stands, I would never do that. I would never be that pastor who had the affair. I would never be the person who gave up on my spouse. I would never be the person who, who struggled with that sin. If you think you stand, if you think you're beyond temptation, you're a fool. You need to take heed lest you fall. People stronger than you, smarter than you, more faithful than you have fallen from faith. Take heed. Moses didn't make it into the promised land. Aaron didn't make it into the promised land. Miriam didn't make it into the promised land. Take heed from their example. But hold on to this, that God is faithful. He's faithful. Even when you face temptation, when you face something that looks like there's no way out, God who is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what, is, what you're able there will always be a way to escape and choose the right thing to do. It doesn't feel like it, doesn't seem like it, but God says, when you're in a temptation, trust, God, you've made a way of escape for me, except for giving the temptation. With the temptation, you will also make you a way of escape. So what does it look like for you to take this moment you're in? It might be a moment of temptation, it might be a moment of pressure that you're under. And you say, hey, I'm in this again or I'm in this for the first time. How can I use this moment to have exceptional faith 
so the people watching me will see something come out of me that they'll be drawn toward. If you've been here for 15 years or so, you probably remember the name Matt McKee. That was our children's pastor and pretty much designed what our children's ministry looks like today and putting this building together. I've been noticing on his Facebook page some discussions about some medical issues. I called him up about a month ago. And he told me at age 44, he got news that he has stage 4 liver and colon cancer. With two young boys, teenagers, wife. And I said, Matt, how can we pray for you? How can we encourage you? He said, I want you to tell people that I am, uh, my soul is well. I am chasing God in the midst of this. I know how I respond in this matters. I am devastated and I'm fearful and I'm scared, but I'm trusting God. So I called him up this week and just asked if I could share his story. And I've just been seeing him online talking about how he's trying to trust God. And he knows people are watching him in this moment. And he wants to trust God in the midst of the fear. His kids are watching. His wife is watching. He said, Chad, a lot of people told me to fight like hell against this thing. But I've decided to fight like heaven. I said, well, tell me what that means. He said, well, I don't want to die. But if I die, it's the game. I'm going to trust God that he knows best if that's what happens. But to live as Christ, I'm praying for a miracle. I'm working for a miracle. I'm doing the work I need to do medically for a miracle. But I'm trying to hold the thing in God's hands and say, whatever you choose to do, I trust you. That's a deja vu moment. That's recognizing the moment you're in and how important the faith is you respond. And he specifically, I said, how can we pray for you as a church? He said, pray that my body would produce more blood. It's just having trouble producing blood. What moment are you in? Is it temptation? Is it struggle? What is it that you need to recognize in order to lean into God in that moment? Are you recognizing the deja vu moments? And secondly, do you recognize the signs? There's signs you're on the wrong path. There's signs that you're on the right path. You're going to be assigned to other people. That's what he goes on to say here. He says exceptional faith is seeing the signs. And here's what pretty much it's a giant census. The Reubenites... At 43,000 people. And then he mentions a couple people by name. Like, wouldn't it be cool to get your, your, your name in the Bible? Hey, and let's not forget Datham and Abraham. Oh, yeah, Abraham and Datham. Yeah, what did they do? Yeah, they contended against Moses and Aaron, and they contended against the Lord. Oh, man. I got my name in the Bible as a bad example. And he goes on to say, and let's not forget how you know, at Korah, fire had to come out and devour a whole bunch of men, 250 of them. And guys, they were supposed to be a sign. You're supposed to learn from what they did wrong. Exceptional faith is recognizing the signs. I learned from my own mistakes, and I also learned from other people's mistakes. See, you're going to be a sign. You will be an example to your kids, to your employer, to your boss, to your employees, to your neighbors. You might be a bad example, you might be a good example, you might be a bad sign or a good sign. So if you look at the signposts in your life, what path are you on right now? Are you on a path that's going to finish well? He goes on, there's the families of the Simeonites, whoa, low number, 22,000. Judah, according to those, 76,000. Issachar, and he's just going to mention all the different tribes of Israel and what the numbers are, like I showed you in that graph. And then it mentions here a good sign. Man, the sons 
Only one who gets sons was sons of Joseph because of living faithfully 500 years ago. Both his sons get a portion by Manasseh and Ephraim. These are the families of Manasseh, two portions. One was 52,700 and Ephraim, according to those who are numbered, 32,500. And here's a double blessing, tracing back to someone who finished well. Then there were the sons of Abraham, uh, Benjamin rather, according to his families and Dan and Asher and Naphtali. And all of these numbers and all of these people are signs. Some were good signs and some were bad signs. Those who are numbered, the children of Israel, 600, 1,700. Then the Levites don't get any land. They're going to get the cities of refuge. We'll talk about it in a few weeks. And then it mentions a couple more people by name coming out of Levi. Hey, Levi, let's not forget good old Nabdu and Abihu. We studied them in the book of Leviticus five years ago. Yeah, I remember them there. The ones that got burned up because they didn't respect God and didn't respect how God wanted his sacrifices given and they offered profane fire before the Lord and were destroyed. Oh, man. You know, I was in college. I had a lot of people who were signs to me, right? And what do we learn here? I want to finish well for my sake and for the sake of my future. Number two, I'm going to be a sign. Is it a good sign or a bad sign? I want to be a good sign. Back when I was in college, I used to listen to Keith Green. There's a song he sang all the time. It's called, I Don't Want to Fall Away From You. I used to listen to that over and over again. God, I want to finish well. I want to quickly realize when I'm off the track, I'm going to get off the path. But let me repent quickly. Let me see it quickly and come back to you. I've been in ministry full time now, almost 30 years. And almost every one of my heroes in ministry has had a moral failure. My favorite theologians, my favorite listened to 10, 000, probably 2,000 messages from some of my favorite apologists who could articulate philosophically why Christianity was true, my favorite verse-by-verse Bible teachers, my favorite seeker service uh, creators. It's like all of my heroes, the guy who inspired me to go into ministry, had a moral failure. And I'm like, man, I do not want to be our church's sad story. I want to finish well. I want to be close to God and close to my wife and close to my family. Yeah, I'm going to stumble into temptation, but man, I want to quickly repent and and say thank God for his grace. Don't you too? Isn't that your heartbeat? I want to see the signs. I want to recognize the deja vu moments. I want the, the words of Keith Green in that song, I don't want to fall away from you. Not in the sense of losing my eternal security. That's covered by what Jesus did, but I, I, I want to and strong. I want to finish well. I want to be an example where people go, that's how to live an authentic life. Yeah, he made mistakes, but he owned them. Yeah, he did the wrong things occasionally, or he got impatient or angry or, or whatever, but man, he owned it, and, and God's grace was sweet. I want to be a good sign, and I want to finish well. Exceptional faith can rec- recognize those deja vu moments. It recognizes the signs, and thirdly, it lives in light of its inheritance. This is where God pretty much says, all right, now that the census is over, guys, let's pass out the land. Here's how we're going to do. 
And exceptional faith lives in light of the inheritance you have. And as Christians, we're not getting land, but we have eternal glory because of what Jesus did. We are fully forgiven. We, we, we have heaven, and we have the treasures that neither moth nor, nor rust can destroy. And we live in light of that. We want other people to have a taste of what we've experienced, a God who loves us and is faithful to us even when we're faithless. So God turns to the team and says, Hey, Moses, to these, the people you just did the census of, I want you to divide out the inheritance according to the number of the names. To a large tribe, give a large inheritance. To a small tribe, give a small inheritance. Oh, if we could go back to that rebellion at the plague of meat and say, send me in, don't do it. You're robbing yourself and your generations. If we go back to the time they gave in to the prostitution, you're robbing yourself and future generations of reward. Each will be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered by them. But the land shall be divided by lot, and they shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance will be divided, some larger and some smaller. Now, either way, this is by grace, because God fights, God gives the land, God provides. So it's all by grace they're getting all this by God's generosity. But the amount of reward they receive is determined by the amount of faith they had. And where they are 40 years later. So how do we live in light of our inheritance? One of the cool things about our church is what Jesus calls the Great Commission. Is that when you realize what you have in Christ, forgiveness and joy and peace from God, forgiven past, present, future. Right? When you taste that, when you really get that, you're like, I can't keep this to myself. I got to tell my friends about this. I got to try and have spiritual conversation with people. I want, I want to enlarge my territory, right? I want my tribe to be big enough that when I get to heaven, it's like, well, I'm here and my neighbor's here and, and I shared Christ with my grandma a few, months, a few months ago before she died. And I want to have a tribe in heaven, right? Because I have an inheritance. I want to increase my tribe so they can have an inheritance. That's what evangelism's about. That's why we have an equipping service where we go verse by verse through the Bible and take on these tough passages. We have an exploring service where you can invite your friends. And there's dozens of these stories going on all the time, and I just can't tell you because I'm respecting people's confidentiality. But every once in a while, we get to take a, a glimmer of the reasons you serve. Maybe you greet people at the door, just hand out programs. Now you're doing more than that. The reason you're helping out in the children's ministry and putting crafts together or teaching one of our classes the reason you write that check every month to our church is because you believe that you have an inheritance from God and you want to create a space and a strategy so other people can feel that and experience that. So just a few weeks ago, I got a chance to interview my friend Chris about how over the last 15 years, being comfortably connected to God by people who shared about the inheritance and forgiveness they had in God, she finally found her own inheritance. Let me show you her clip. We'll talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm with my friend Chris, and Chris has been so cool in our friendship, but also as your pastor to see your spiritual journey over the years. And I remember, you know, even back in the CCD days before we had a facility, yes. way back in Indian Hill, um, you were coming, you had some spiritual background, but you had some real ahas at Horizon. So tell me about when you first started coming, what you learned, and what was kind of that moment you said, I get it? Well, 
In the beginning, when I first came to Horizon, especially after we moved to where we are now, I was not really a Christian. I believed in God, and I believed that Christ existed, and he taught wonderful things, but I can't, I really didn't get it. And, but I was open to it because the church was accepting of me, not believing in Christ. And because of that, I was free to ask questions. And I went to Bible studies and started to learn things, but I still wasn't putting the things together. Even though I was learning facts about um, the Bible, the Old Testament, but facts about Jesus himself, it still was not clicking until one day in church when, as you were talking, there was a painter and he was painting on the easel and I just kept focusing on the easel. And very quickly it dawned on me when he was doing the chin, it was, a, it was Christ, but a different perspective of looking up here. And for the first time to me, Christ looked real. It wasn't this gorgeous, blonde, blue-eyed, and, and it just hit me. And then when he splattered blood on him, I swear, I, I just, I believed. And it started to open up all kinds of doors for me. I mean, just amazing. And to have it reinforced by going back. But it never would have happened if I hadn't been there. Maybe it would have, but it was because Horizon is accepting no matter what you believe, it's the acceptance, it's also the attitude, what can we do for you? And they kept drawing me and accepting me, and therefore I could accept Jesus. Well, that's one of our values is, you know, we're yours to explore, right? So we want you to explore wherever you're at. And I remember that day, in fact, that painting, um, he made several. Mark Theskin painted three uh, for the different services, and I have one of them hanging in, in my office. And so every time I see that painting, I think of you. And while he was painting, kind of the, the, the red blood was actually the, the red splatter paint he was using. Um, he was doing that while we were, the band was doing a song by Peter Gabriel I love called Red Rain. It's the idea that God rains down his acceptance and he rains down his love and he rains down his forgiveness. Well, if you're going to recommend to somebody else who maybe is a few steps behind you in the journey, why should they consider Christ? Or what are the benefits you found that you might recommend them to take in pursuing their relationship with God? It was because of Christ on the cross and, and learning about it um, that we are, we're forgiven. We're, we don't have to prove it. Again, we're already forgiven for our sins. Even before we commit the sins, we're forgiven. Doesn't mean we go around sinning. <laughs> no, because we want to be connected to God. And to connect with God, we do what God wants. We do things, you know, for other people, not, you know, not just ourselves. And it changes the whole focus. Instead of a me focus, it becomes an outward focus. Like the first day I walked in, what can we do for you? Man, that's sweet. I mean, I just love Chris. So could you give a better concise, precise gospel presentation in that Christ died for us? and we have nothing to prove. That's finding your inheritance. And then to recognize that people who had their inheritance 
had created a culture that says, what can we do for you? How can we serve you? How can we help you? How can I give to a place that creates that? How can I serve in a place? How can I make you comfortable? That's what we do as a church. Because we have found an inheritance and we want to finish well. and We want to bring a giant tribe of our friends and family with us when we get to heaven. In fact, we shot this about a month and a half ago for a series we did, an exploring service called Mastermind. But many of you probably were here last month where we had uh, Mark on stage painting during our worship service. So we brought Mark on stage to do the third service where we did Red Rain by Peter Gabriel, but we also got to experience the worship of that together here during the worship time. But Mark didn't know that his story had impacted Chris. So when Chris said she was going to share the story, my wife had said, why don't you bring Mark back and why don't we redo that whole thing? And so I'm like, that's a great idea. So I came up to, to Chris about, I don't know, five weeks ago where she was greeting at the door. She's serving other people the same way she was served so many years ago. I said, hey, Chris, uh, your video is going to play next week and we're bringing the painter back. Really? And we're going to redo Red Rain. Really? And we're going to give you one of the paintings. Her knees buckled. He threw, she threw her arms around me. She kissed my cheek. I had to go tell an elder that women in the church kissing me. And, <laughs> and she was just so, so grateful. And so last month, after that third service, here's a picture of Chris with Mark. And Mark didn't know the story until the service began. And so he's hearing the video you just saw while he's standing here at an easel. And he says he paints with two hands, if you remember. He's like, Chad, I'm wiping tears out of my eyes. That God used this decision I made 20 years ago to design this painting with Jesus looking up to bring somebody to know Jesus. And he painted while we played, the band played Red Rain. And Chris sent me a real nice note that this is now hanging in her house as a constant reminder of her inheritance and how she came to Christ here at our church. That's why we do what we do. We want to finish well. So here's my question for you. Where are you at in finishing well? Check your trajectory. If you keep growing the way you're growing, where are you going to be in a decade, 40 years? If you keep believing the way you're currently believing, are you one degree off, two degrees off, five degrees off? Are you slowly drifting from your beliefs? If you keep behaving, motivated by God's grace, but keep behaving the way you're behaving, are you drawing near to God who loves you and died for you? Or are you moving away from him? Are you going to finish well with exceptional faith? Remember, I told you how the chapter ends. After all that inheritance, all that census, it says, let's not forget that not one of them was left after they numbered everybody except Caleb and Joshua. They constantly check their trajectory and said, we're not going to have other, other idols. We're going to recognize the worth of God, the worth of Jesus. We're going to get back to what matters. So I want to invite the band to come out. And I think this song that we're going to sing together expresses exactly what we all need. Michael W. Smith made it pretty popular about 20 years ago. And the idea is... God, I have just gotten so tempted by pleasure and comfort and stuff and things and self. I've got to get back to it all being about you, about your value, about your mission, about what really matters. So why don't you stand with us? And we're going to sing together. Father, 
We live in a broken world, Father. This, this week is a reminder just of all the shootings and devastation and all the pain, Father. We are so easy to be distracted by the unknown and by the fears of this life and the temptations of this culture. But, Father, we want to take this moment and realign our hearts and our eyes to you, to your presence, and get back to you being the king of our hearts. In Jesus' name.